Primary Care Knowledge Boost, Podcast 7, Contraception Part 1. Hi there and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we have part one of our two episodes with Dr Jacqueline Gatenby that cover contraception. In both these episodes there is a range of great information. So in episode one we talk about why contraception is so important, the types of contraception, the new ways to take the combined oral contraceptive pill, we talk about the differences in preparation of pills as well as different bleeding patterns on hormonal contraception in general and options to manage these. And then in part two, we're going to cover when contraception becomes effective and when starting or swapping contraception types and quick starting pills and postnatal and breastfeeding considerations for contraception, as well as contraception around the perimenopause. So we will talk about our learning points after the end of part two. We hope you enjoy. So hello, Dr. Gatenby and welcome. Would you mind just introducing yourself for the listeners? Uh, yes, hi. Um, my name is Jacqueline Gatenby and I'm a GP partner at Pennygate Medical Centre in Hindley. Lovely. Um, so um, you're talking to us today about contraception. Do you want to tell us how you got interested in the topic? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I've always had an interest in sexual health, um, especially women's health and young people's health. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that um, women should have sole control over their sexual and reproductive health mm-hmm. um, because I think it empowers them to make good decisions about planning their own pregnancies. Yeah. Mm. I think in the past unplanned pregnancy was seen as undesirable but probably just from a social point of view mm. but I think we do know that it is definitely associated with significant morbidity for mum and baby. Yeah. We know that pregnancy spacing is really important. Um, you know, the it's really advisable to leave it 12 to 18 months between pregnancies. In fact, I think the WHO recommend 24 months yeah. because um, having babies very close together can increase risk of premature delivery, etc. Um, so I think it's, personally, I think it's really important that we're able to offer women accurate, very up-to-date information about contraception that's available, how it works, um, how they should take it, what to do if things go wrong so that we're not leaving women just giving up on contraception and and leaving themselves at risk of pregnancy. Um, So about 10 years ago, um, my colleague and I, Victoria Holm, who was similarly minded, decided that we needed to train up in the provision of larks, um, particularly implants. We were already coil fitters. And also sort of to change the mindset of the practice because at that time, you know, first line contraception was always the pill. And as we know, especially for young people who get pregnant very easily, they find obviously daily pill taking a bit of a challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that was at the time that was going on nationally. And Mm -hmm. consequently, I think we have seen a big reduction in teenage pregnancy because of provision of LARC. Um, So yeah, so that's really how where we're at now. Brilliant, yeah. And um, so if we just start with, um, can you give us an overview of the different types of contraception there are? Yep, so um, when I'm talking to uh, a patient that might come in um, requesting contraception, I usually split it into two, obviously the the non-hormonal methods and then the hormonal methods. So non-hormonal, we've got obviously barrier methods, condoms, female condoms, diaphragms, um, and the copper IUD. Mm -hmm. And then we have the hormonal methods. So we've got pills, um, we've got combined pills, we've got progesterone-only pills, 
We have the combined patch, the combined vaginal ring, um, and then we're moving more onto your larks. So we've got Depo Provera, which is a 12-weekly injection. The implant, um, which is a three-yearly um, subdermal implant, yeah. and a Mirena coil, the IUS, which is a five-yearly. I think that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite comprehensive, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, so we thought rather than going through each of the um, individual types and, and kind of being a bit more prescriptive about it, that we talk more about special considerations and specific questions and yeah. problems that we can come across in primary care. Um, so if we start with the combined pill, um, we've seen a bit recently about the new regimes of taking and, and how it doesn't need to be the three weeks on, one week off and things yeah. like that. Would you mind elaborating a little bit about that? Uh, no, um, certainly so the combined pill contains an oestrogen and a progesterone. And traditionally, um, when it was first brought onto the market, it was um, a, a traditional way of taking it was having a pill every single day for 21 days and then not taking a pill for seven days. Mm-hmm. And on that seven day without taking a pill, which we now call the hormone-free interval, um, you would have a, a withdrawal bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that was all well and good, but unfortunately, as we all know, not taking a pill for seven days basically wakes your ovaries up. So mm. there's a lot of people forgetting to restart the next pack or certainly forgetting any pills in that first week back on taking the next set of pills mm. um, was leaving people really at risk of pregnancy. And we think possibly that this was one of the reasons why a lot of people will tell you they got caught on the pill or yeah. or whatever. Um yeah. recently there's been a sort of a a bit of a change into trying to reduce that hormone-free interval so there isn't a need to have seven days off the pill Mm -hmm. in fact there isn't really any physical need to have any hormone-free interval whatsoever there's no um, damaging effects um, for that for women and I think we need to explain that to women because I think sometimes they get an idea that there's a big backup of bleeding um, which which obviously doesn't occur because the endometrium remains very thin under the influence of your of, of taking the pill yeah so there are various regimes um, people can take it traditionally 21 days on seven days off we call um, an extended regime where you can take the pill for longer than your 21 days so mm-hmm. for instance taking it for three months back to back so you'll take 21 times three pills for three months yeah. and then you might have a reduced hormone free interval of four days right. and the the beauty of reducing it for four days is that you might you you will get your withdrawal bleed but you're not running into problems of then having the seven day extended time where there's a chance where the the ovaries will start to produce follicles and you may ovulate Mm. Mm, that makes sense the the other way of of, um extending um your taking the pill is to take it all the time take back-to-back packets until you start to bleed because you will get unscheduled bleeding taking the pill like this Mm. when you start to bleed and you're bleeding for three days you might then decide to have four days off and then restart it again and that's thought to shorten that sort of unscheduled bleeding or you can actually take it all the time without having any hormone free interval i think the problem we have at the moment is that obviously manufacturers of pills are still um, prescribing it in the traditional regime so it takes um and i I think often people think that a contraception consultation is kind of short and easy but Mm -hmm. actually in order for people to understand 
how to take the pill. Mm-hmm. It actually does take a bit of time. So it's really important that we explain to women how the pill actually works, reassure them that taking it in this extended way is not a problem. Yeah. But we, we, we need to spend time doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, how do you do it then to, to try and fit it into a consultation? Yeah, Have you got any kind of handy... <laughs> it's really tricky because I've really, I really... I, I balk at sort of, you know consulting in a very sort of patriarchal way I I don't want to tell people how to take it but actually as it's just taken as that length of time for me just to explain those regimes um I I do try and take my time with people but um I probably come down on saying you know why don't we try try cycling for the first six months and see how you get on with that so Yeah. explain how to take it back to back for three months yeah. four days off back to back for three months and see how you get on yeah. Yeah. and then I would always review anyway in, in three months and um, and then we can d- decide to do it differently if there's been problems perfect yeah, yeah. so moving on to talk about um, the different preparations so when you're right. first starting somebody on a combined um, yeah. oral contraceptive pill um, what you know can you talk us through the different preparations there are out there yes so um most of the pills available, the the, the more traditional pills, um, contain um, an oestrogen, and that oestrogen is usually ethanyl oestradiol mm-hmm. and a progesterone. And the more traditional progesterones are the levonorgestrel and the norethisterone yeah. and norgestimate. And those progesterones with the oestrogen are thought to be the 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 pills which confer the lowest risk of VTE if you're okay. concerned about that mm-hmm. because as we know taking the combined pill does increase your risk of VTE mm-hmm. and it is thought to be as well as the estrogen dose it is also thought to be the type of progesterone that you have with the estrogen that increases your VTE risk right. so the earlier progesterones the levonorgestrel the norethisterone um, your risk Um, Well, if we go to what the risk would be if you're not taking any combined um, hormones, your risk is two per 10,000 women a year. Okay. If you take the the safest combined pill, your risk goes up to five to seven per Mm 10,000. If you then go on to the newer progesterone type pills, um, which is your Marvelons and and things like that, your risk goes 9 to 12. But we have to bear in mind that if somebody becomes pregnant, that their VTE risk, actually that goes up to 29 per 10,000. And in the postpartum period, it's 300 to 400. So there is a massive hike in the risk with pregnancy. So we need to be a little bit careful. You know, I know it's very important that we get women in to come and have their blood pressures done and their weights checked. But it's equally important that we don't suddenly uh, refuse to prescribe the pill if somebody's run out of pills and they haven't had time to come and have a, a check because you know clearly we don't want them to have an unplanned pregnancy yeah yeah so yeah so the newer generation progesterones are things like uh, desogestrel gestadine um etonogestrel which is in the uh is in the ring the vaginal ring oh. and an, a, a newer progesterone that's also in the patch nice. um and as i say these um newer progesterones do confer a slightly higher risk of vte so mm-hmm. when we're starting off prescribing combined hormonal contraception it probably is sensible to use the lowest risk yeah. um combined pill and 
see how somebody goes and you can always change it onto something else if um, you want to depending on whether they suffer from various side effects with it or having some problems with bleeding for instance. Brilliant. In terms of the the side effects um, profile, I always find it quite difficult to differentiate between progesterone side effects and estrogen side effects and what to do with the pill. Have you got any helpful advice about that? Um, Yeah, I think, I mean, the main sort of estrogen type side effects, so the most common ones are nausea and headache Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes bloatedness. And then your progesterone side effects are more your kind of um, sore breasts, um, perhaps low mood, um, yeah. lacking libido, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think anything's set in stone. I don't think actually we de- you know, we know for definite which yeah. is causing which. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, obviously within um, the combined hormonal contraception, there is the opportunity to switch over to slightly different progesterones or increasing the dose of the estrogen slightly. Um, traditionally, when, when pills first came out, the estrogen dose, dose was much, much, much higher than it was than it is today. Right. Um, and actually, even a 35 microgram estrogen pill, which is the highest we have available today, yeah. is is still quite low. Um, which is reassuring I think Um, so you know you might decide that you want to increase the estrogen dose for instance if somebody's having a problem with breakthrough bleeding on the combined pill Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason you might want to change a progesterone is um, for instance Yasmin which the progesterone that is in Yasmin is something called Jospirinone Mm -hmm. and that is it's anti-androgenic, so if somebody's got spots, then you, you might think that if they wanted something to help them with acne, then and that was made worse by taking an, an, a more traditional progesterone-type pill, yeah. then you could maybe switch it to that. Mm. Um, so there are re- you, can, you can chop and change, having given somebody a, a, an amount of time to get used to a pill, yeah. um, because... You know, we don't want to sort of say to somebody, see how you go for a few weeks and then we'll switch over if you're not happy. We, you really should give somebody probably up to three months on a combined pill. I, I wouldn't suggest changing it unless they were really adamant to change, unless they'd given it a really good go, to be yeah. fair. Okay. So with the um, combined pills and the different types of progesterone, the newer types of progesterone have slightly higher VTE risks. What are the kind of main advantage of the newer progesterones? I think that there's a thought that the, some of the new progesterones, for instance, the um, desogestrel, which, as we know, is the progesterone-only pill that people do take, yeah. also it might help with breakthrough bleeding. Right. Um, so it, it might stop that to some extent. But you can still get unscheduled bleeding with, with that pill as well. Yeah. Um, so... I'd, I would say that there isn't an absolute advantage to those different um, yeah. pills. It's just really a, a matter of if one doesn't suit a woman, then you may try another and it might help with whatever um, she was unhappy with. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So have a bit of a flexibility and open I think mind. think so, yeah. 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 Um, and we've mentioned um, now a bit about bleeding yeah. um, with them. Um, would you mind just going through what bleeding we would expect on all of the different types of contraception? Okay, so if we start with the pills, so it's basically breakthrough bleeding or unscheduled bleeding is is common, mm-hmm. and it's common on on basically all hormonal contraception, but it's very common certainly on the progesterone only pill. Yeah, and there are two types of progesterone only pill: the desogestrel, mm-hmm. which is the pill that gives you a slightly bit longer window if you miss a pill. Yeah. Um, you've got a twelve hour window. Um, and then you've got the more traditional POP, 
um, which is more your, your levonorgestrel um, North Istrone type hills. Yeah. Um, and which only has a three hour window. Mm-hmm. So the difference between them is that the desogestrel pill actually inhibits ovulation, whereas the, the other pills don't. They just work by um, thickening cervical mucus. Right. Which is why it's only a small window, because that the, yeah. the way it works, you lose that quite quickly if you don't take another pill within yeah. within the 24 hours. Mm. Um, bleeding problems are common on both of these pills, mm. certainly within the first three months, and it can persist beyond three months. Yeah. There are definitions of what types of breakthrough bleeding people might have, yeah. or unscheduled bleeding. Mm. And I think that's fine, but... Whether it's infrequent, frequent, prolonged, um, spotting, whatever, the most important thing is why is that woman particularly unhappy with it? Um, I mean, I th- that goes for lots of symptoms, I think, but certainly for bleeding, we need to find out what impact that, that's having. Yeah. Um, so you you can say to, to, to women, with the desogestrel p- pill, for instance, by 12 months, probably half of people will... Um, over a three-month period, either be amenorrheic or you might have um, one or two bleeding episodes. Okay. Mm-hmm. About three or four women out of ten might have slightly more bleeding episodes within that three-month period. Yeah. And then you might get people, um, a smaller amount, maybe one out of ten, who have prolonged bleeding episodes with mm-hmm. the desogestrel pill. Okay. Um, if you're taking the traditional POP, then your bleeding problems are um, common, mm-hmm. um, but you don't tend to get as much prolonged bleeding, mm. but you do get frequent bleeding episodes, but they okay. may only last a few days. Right. Okay. Okay. There's no evidence that swapping over makes bleeding less on whichever you've, you, you're swapping over to, but it might give you a different bleeding pattern. Oh, which okay. might suit you. Yeah. So it's all it's all about really, you know, finding a pattern that is acceptable for that particular woman. Yeah. Um, so th- there is some sense in you could you could switch over yeah. if you wanted to, to the other type of POP, um, but but I wouldn't. There's no evidence that actually that makes bleeding better. It's okay. just it might be a more acceptable bleeding pattern. Yeah. Okay. Um, combined pills. Um, Again, I think we, we covered that a little bit, that you, you could switch over to either um, a higher dose estrogen and yeah. that can sometimes help. There, I think there is a bit of evidence that the vaginal ring can help with unscheduled bleeding to oh. some extent. Okay. Um, and also this changing the way that we take the pill can also be helpful yeah. because hopefully by having extended use, you might... You, you certainly won't get ble- rid of bleeding completely, yeah. but you will. You, you might be able to have less bleeding. Yeah. There are two new, very new combined pills, actually, I meant to mention, um, Clara and Zoely. Oh, yeah. So these are sort of new pills um, in the last few years, which contain much more um, natural estrogen and progesterone. So there isn't a lot of evidence at the moment, but the thoughts are that these are safer. estrogen and progesterones for women to use in terms of VTE risk Mm -hmm. and they are prescribed in an extended regime so Clara for instance is a 26 day pill with a two-day hormone-free interval and the Zoely is a 24 length of time with a four-day interval Um, the Clara which is the 26 two-day is 
they vary the hormone level throughout the month. So, yeah, there is the, like the triphasic pills that we used to have. Um, there isn't a lot of evidence that triphasic pills help with bleeding particularly. So most women are on monophasic pills, which is the same dose every day, which yeah. which Zoli is. Um, so there isn't a lot of evidence about these pills, but um, they are pretty expensive. So right. I think that's probably why they would be, you know, a last resort if you were going to yeah. go down that road for really. bleeding for bleeding changes. Yeah. Changes, yeah. Um, so that's um, unscheduled bleeding on pills. Things like the implant. Mm-hmm. Um, the bleeding problems are very common again in certainly in the first three months um counseling is really really important when we're um, counseling women about having an implant i think if you can explain to them that bleeding is okay it doesn't mean that the implant's not working um it doesn't mean that that there's that they're any more at risk of pregnancy but obviously you know bleeding is 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 an irritation yeah. um so if you're bleeding a lot on an implant then uh, you know it's, it's understandable that some you might want to have something done about it yeah. so with the implant there it's it's off license but the fsrh do recommend that you can try the combined oral contraceptive pill yeah mm-hmm. for three months and you can take that however you like, either back to back or have your seven day break, whichever. I normally tell people to take it back to back and then review after three months and see if that's helped because okay. sometimes it can. And then would you continue that ongoing or would it just be for the three months? So there is very little evidence um, as to whether there are any problems with taking that long term. And I think the FSRH probably advise that you use basically to use your own discretion um, about whether you want to continue to use the combined pill. Okay, brilliant. Um, and what other ones? Depo bleeding patterns? So depo, mm-hmm. yes. Um, so after the first injection, uh, bleeding problems can be quite common. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can reassure women that usually about by 12 months, half of women are amenorrheic mm. on the depo. And... that continues with duration of use so um bleeding problems can be um difficult in the first stages but with subsequent injections then they are more likely to have less problem with that um there isn't really a lot of evidence about giving early depots and we probably wouldn't give an early earlier depot than a 10-week gap yeah. between the first and second injection. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that, you know, it can help to sort of reassure women that, well, well, let's give you another one slightly earlier and maybe that will, will help a bit because we know that duration of use um, will um, lessen the problem of unscheduled bleeding on the depot. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, what else? Coils? Yeah, so coils, um, the IUS, Mirena is very 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 commonly causes uh, varying amounts of bleeding spotting discharge in the first probably up to the first six months of having it fitted and again counseling is really really important to let women know that that will happen in most women and in in a few women it can persist beyond six months but obviously we do use the IUS as a therapeutic um, treatment for heavy menstrual bleeding so you can reassure women that over a 12-month period menstrual 
um, blood loss actually is reduced by about 90 percent so um, eventually most people do settle on a morena and um, they most people either don't have any bleeding at all Mm -hmm. or um, have very infrequent Mm. um, bleeding which obviously uh, most people can tolerate yeah brilliant so I think that's about it for all the contraceptions and and bleedings Um, so when should we be concerned about unscheduled bleeding or breakthrough bleeding yeah so it's um obviously it's a very common problem because as we've just established yeah. bleeding is very common certainly when starting any hormonal um, form of contraception yeah. so it, it's like anything really i mean it's very important to take a good history mm-hmm. don't assume that that patient is taking it or if it is a pill uh, that she's taking that correctly okay. um i've had a few instances where people on the progesterone only pill are taking it like a combined pill because that's how they've taken a combined pill before um which obviously isn't well it's scary in lots of ways but yeah um certainly putting them at risk of unplanned pregnancy but probably causing a problem with bleeding as well um and women taking the combined pill who think that they shouldn't be on they shouldn't be taking a pill if they don't stop bleeding. So they wait until they stop bleeding oh, before they restart packets and, and things like that, which again is putting them at risk of pregnancy. Yeah. So uh, make sure that they're taking it correctly. That's very important. Yeah. Find out again what's bothering them about the unscheduled bleeding. Yeah. Um, very obviously important to find out risk of pregnancy. So yeah. a, probably a pregnancy test you would probably consider. Yeah. An STI history. Yeah. Um, any sort of any new partners within the last twelve months, you 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 probably would consider ruling out certainly chlamydia. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, if they are eligible, making sure that they're part of a cervical screening program. Yes. Yeah. Which is important. Um, if if somebody has been started very recently, they're within three months of starting a, a hormonal form of contraception and you have ruled out you know other worrying things so you've asked them about associated symptoms you know unscheduled bleeding is usually just bleeding without pain Um, but if they've got any of those other symptoms that you might be concerned about dyspareunia pain any dragging feeling vaginally anything like that then you you change your your management basically Mm -hmm. but if you're if you're quite happy that you've ruled out most of that and you're you're pretty sure that this bleeding is down to starting a hormonal form of contraception then you're actually okay you you probably don't even need to examine them right and see how they go um for for a few months if if you want to treat them you could you know you Mm -hmm. you if if, depending on which form of contraception they're they're on um and obviously you would review them in a few months time yeah um where the story changes a little bit is if people are having have been on a form of contraception for a a long time Mm -hmm. and that they start to have unscheduled bleeding or a changing pattern of their normal bleeding pattern on that particular form of contraception yeah and you're going to be more worried because what we're worried about here is obviously cancer yeah and you're worried about cervical cancer and endometrial cancer Mm -hmm. so for those women and for women where you're having persistent bleeding beyond the three months of starting a hormonal contraception then it would be obviously sensible to examine them certainly to have a look at the cervix um but also to do a bimanual um, examination if you think that's necessary yeah women that you worry about more are obviously older women Mm -hmm. women with higher bmi women with diabetes and women with PCOS 
because mm -hmm. they are at higher risk of endometrial cancer. Yeah. Um, so it's not one of those things where there's an absolute, yes, you do this with that person or that with the other person. It's about, which is the case often in general practice, yeah. that you use your, um, your clinical knowledge and you weigh up risks of, you know, whether that person is more likely or not to have something that you're going to be worried about. Yeah. So the the women that you're going to be worried about, older women, women with a higher BMI, mm. you're, you're probably going to be thinking about um, having an endometrial biopsy with, via hystroscopy. Yeah. Um, ultrasound scans have their place, but obviously in premenopausal women, they're, they're not brilliant at picking up endometrial cancers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So if you're worried about that, really, they do need a referral for a hystoscopy. Yeah. Okay. But ultrasound scans are pretty good if you're wondering about fibroids or if they've got any symptoms of that um, or anything, you know, anatomical, um, structurally anatomical that, that might be causing problems with bleeding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if we're thinking along the cancer line and we've got that high suspicion, we should just be referring Indeed. on and not really I mean, lying. yeah. And strange. you're going to be a lot more worried about your 45-year-old woman mm -hmm. on a marina who starts bleeding yeah. than you are with a 21-year-old who's taken the combined pill and he's having a problem with persistent bleeding. Yeah, mm -hmm. lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so if we've kind of gone through all of that and we go back to our non-worrying causes of the breakthrough bleeding, yeah. you've mentioned a few things that we can do, such as increasing the estrogen in the combined pill and things yeah. and the using the... Um, combined pill with the implant have you got any other strategies to manage um, breakthrough bleeding so um sometimes with the depot if people are having problems despite having you know a few injections of, of depot then there is a bit of evidence that methanamic acid in its usual dose of 500 milligrams TDS mm -hmm. can help with individual bleeding episodes but right. it doesn't probably decrease number of bleeding episodes okay. so you might you, you could try that mm -hmm. you can try the combined pill actually with the depot if you want to right. and also we've talked about it with the implant but you could also try that with the uh, Mirena oh, um, okay. if you, the the FSARH has said that they would would be happy with that okay. um yeah other than that i don't think there is anything that is coming to mind no they're Which good they're yeah, good options good. yeah and obviously i guess making sure that they're able to take the combined pill there's not a reason that we've not given yeah, it to yeah, them in yeah, the first true. place yeah the switch you could switch over the as i say the progesterone only pills but as i you know as, as i said before that doesn't really it might change the bleeding pattern it doesn't actually usually improve bleeding okay yeah mm -hmm. um, but it makes it more acceptable possibly grand so we will pause our discussion there to give us a new time to process the excellent information. We'll see you shortly for part two. Don't forget, we would love your feedback. Um, you can do this um, most easily through our survey link, um, which is in the episode description, or through emailing us at primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter handle, which is at PCKB podcast, and we'd love to get your feedback on there too. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Wigan in 2019. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the show notes for full details and any links we've mentioned in the episode.